Hello and welcome to another Forever Blue podcast. Thanks very much for your company. Really appreciate it. And thanks very much to, to Charles Louis Group, who are the sponsors of the podcast. Uh, they're an advisory, advisory business. They advise on development, finance, mortgage advice and state agents, at a state agency. Um, starting out life as a simple mortgage company, offering buy-to-let, first-time buyer and moving home mortgages. Charles Louis now provides support for the whole property transaction process, including an independent estate agent and an expert commercial finance team and renowned mortgage team. So thanks very much for to them. Really, really appreciate them. Uh, I speak to them a lot. I speak to Dave, who is the boss there, and uh, he is a big blue And I know he listens to the podcast and I know he's a big fan. So thanks very much for your support, Dave. We really appreciate it. He's based, his company's based in Ramsbottom. You know, it sounds posh and it sounds French. CharlesLouis.co.uk are actually from Ramsbottom near Bury. So uh, check them out. Have a look at the website and give them a call if you've got any needs that you think that they can fulfil. Now, I've got three um, people with me today, two um, people who, well, all three of them you'll be very familiar with. Adam, who's part of the Forever Blue, um, you can call it podcast, vlog, group, whatever, right? So anyway, Forever Blue. Um, I'll also be speaking to Carl, though Carl got his clocks all wrong today. He's based in America, and because our clocks went back, and he didn't know what time it was really. I had to record him a little earlier on. So when you hear this, it's inserted from earlier on. Uh, and the star guest tonight is Gary Owen, former City player, who is always very, very welcome on our podcast and uh, is always great to hear from. So thanks very much to, to you three for being on the podcast. Uh, let's start by looking back on the West Ham result. Obviously, there was the Porto game before that. Can I have a look at either of them if you want. Uh, let's start with you, Adam, and, and just give us your thoughts, really, on uh, the performance against West Ham, which I think has had, I think it's fair to say from fans, had a mixed reception. Yeah, I think it would be good, actually, for me to talk about the West Ham game in a similar vein to the Porto one, because it just looked like the same game for me. Um, obviously, we set up with the same starting eleven since, what was it, first time Pep's done it since October 2017 which I found crazy considering I didn't think we played particularly well against Porto. And so if we're talking about West Ham, I think, yeah, we were, we were slow. We had lots of the ball. We didn't really do much with the ball. And then obviously a goal came out of some brilliance. Um, I don't think Diaz really could have done too much more with that. I think he got close to him, but it was just a, a really good finish. Some acrobatics from Antonio to put it in. But even aside from that goal, I just don't think we did enough throughout the whole game. And then we really tried to up the ante in the last 15 minutes and we had some chances to win the game, but it was almost too late. I think the way we set up was wrong and Pep should have realised that after the way we set up on Wednesday, which is exactly the same. Um, So yeah, I was left frustrated, more frustrated than I have been when we dropped points before, because I felt like I could see it coming before the game had even started. I saw the lineup and I was worried about the snooze fest that is Gundogan and Rodri as the double pivot. And I hope they could prove me wrong, but it turned out they didn't. They play, we played exactly the same as we did on Wednesday. And it just really disappointed me. And I, I was left after the game really deflated, to be honest, for the first time in a long time, where I felt like we just weren't getting things right. We weren't, we're not getting them right on a consistent basis. Now, it wasn't the, the odd time like it was last season, or even, you know, obviously the season before. It felt like more of a, a systemic problem um, with the way that we just can't find a system that works right for us at the moment. So, yeah, I was a bit deflated, to be honest, after that 
performance? Once Gabriel Jesus and Kevin De Bruyne are back and fully up to speed, do you think the problems will be solved, if, if there are problems? Um, I think it will certainly help, because I think, you know, we saw from the magic that Gundogan gave us from the free kick in midweek, sometimes you need that bit of magic to break away, break down a low block, um, like Porto and like West Ham put, uh, put in place. So the bit of magic that, Ke that Kev can give us when he's at full fitness is always going to help. And Jesus's movement, which is a lot better than Aguero's, because Aguero was, well, basically non-existent against West Ham. Um, I, I, was, I was calling for him to be taken off at half-time, regardless if he was injured or not, which is a shame, because I would never usually do that. But, um, yeah, I feel like Jesus perhaps could give us more dynamism uh, in attack, which I think we're missing. We're missing that bit of creativity and that spark that a fit De Bruyne and an all-moving Jesus gives us. So, yeah, I do think that that's certainly a positive of him coming back. But if we're going to keep playing Rodri and Gundogan and Gundogan in that eight position, where I think Foden should perhaps be starting, I think there's going to be issues from the get-go anyway. And we're going to need that bit of magic from De Bruyne. I think if we were to play a more a more attacking and adventurous midfield lineup, then I think we wouldn't need to rely on that sort of magic and one-off talent um, as much as we are doing at the moment. I'm sure we'll talk about Phil Foden's contribution when he came <coughs> on and other things like that. But just before I ask Gary his views on, on all things of those last two games, one thing I've observed is, uh, again, we saw today Southampton beat Everton, uh, which might not have been a predicted result. We've seen some strange results this season. And I'm going to read out actually a little blog that Andy Hill, the former City defender, has done, which I think is quite relevant at the moment. Um, but what I was going to say was that given that City are not that far, and obviously have a game in hand, and are not that far statistically off top four, um, with the up and down nature of what's going on at the moment, are people panicking a little bit too early by the, you know, two wins, two draws and a defeat from the first five? It's hard to say because you, you could say that, you know, only five games gone, so why are we worrying so much? But really, the things that I've seen over the past few games are things that I can't see changing over the next three, four or five. So looking projectively forward, I can't see that much changing. So I can see us being in this sort of struggling position in 10 games time, for example. So rather than it being a reactionary comment and saying, oh, we've, we've not been good over the last two games it's more looking forward and seeing can I see things changing in the short to medium term I don't think so for me so yeah I, I think I, I think the worries justified at the moment where are you and all this Gary well thank god I'm not in our friends uh, thought pattern Jesus Christ talk about hang yourself um <laughs> let's yeah let's look realistically we win our game in hand were two points behind Everton, who until today were unbeaten. Had scored so many goals. The, the goal difference, I think, is five. Villas is seven because of the score uh, that they did against Liverpool. There's been some strange results, but there will be strange results because there's been no preparation. These players are playing two, three games a week. They've had no rest. The international players have been away on international duty as well. It's been constant. No rest. You haven't changed the team's round. And as I say, him, for him to say, he can't see anything happening in the next 10, 10 games. Jesus. Well, where's he been for the last three seasons? Hang on a minute. Let's get a, re let's get <laughs> a realism. A bit of realism. 
Christ's sake. You wore the shirt there, and all I've heard out your mouth was, was critics. Critical, critical, critical. Did you say anything that was that was positive? Because if you did, I didn't hear it. At this point, Gary, and say I didn't hear that, it. That, that Adam can sure could stick up for himself, but I've <laughs> seen so much negativity uh, from from fans just recently. Of I don't think I'm, Adam's the I'm only one. To it, Ian. I'm listening to it now. I'm listening to it. I mean, it's unbelievable. When it's, I mean, the side that we put out was good enough to beat West Ham. I mean, we had okay. You know, maybe you're not in favour, and I know other people are not in favour of a Rodri and Gundogan central midfield, one or the other. Now, to start to start questioning Pep Guardiola's team selection, and I know we can do that. Leon, I mean, that seems strange when we played against Leon in the in the Champions League, and the team we picked there, and how we played. Yeah, of course you can, but but remember, it's down to the players. When you get over that white line. It's up to them what happens. A manager can't do anything else until after 45 minutes. And then after 90 minutes, he can either put things right for the next game or put things right at half time. He tried to do that half time on Saturday. We started too slowly. We started with no, no tempo. Uh, we allowed when we got the other side of them. And remember, teams are now playing us with 11 men behind the ball. Porto started with it. West Ham started with it. They, they all feel now that is the way that they can get any sort of results against us is that... Try not to concede four, five or six as, as teams have over seasons and try and keep it as at nil-nil for as long as they can and hope they can get a breakaway. I think when West Ham scored, I'm a writing centre, that was their first venture into our half, I think, or the first venture into our box. And, um, you know, give credit, he took it well. You could argue the point if you want to be really critical. And I've still not seen it properly on, uh, on replays. Did it his, his arm? Because his arm was... A, at the side of him, to me, it looks as though it was his hip and arm that held the ball forward. But okay, we can we can pick at that. At the end of the day, it's a good ball in, good strength uh, by Antonio, and a good finish. I've I've heard, as, as you're rightly saying, about City fans saying that Edison sh should have saved it. He's like seven yards from goal. He's hitting it on the volley from seven yards with a defender in between him and and the ball and Antonio. It was a good finish. El Janza, but. The second half, we played with more purpose. We played with more, um, more speed. We played with more uh, um, tempo. Um, yes, and the introduction of Phil Foden helped because he's a, a midfield player that will get the other side of his midfield player or he'll delve into the back four of the opposition, which Rodri and Gundogan don't like to do, although Gundogan tried to do it in, in the first half, but it's a bad finishing. I mean, he's, for a technical player as he is, some of the balls he put across when he got into the left-hand side in the first half where he could have picked somebody out was woeful. And a shot that he had that really, it was close to the corner flag and it was the goal. So, yes, of course we can we can pick at that. But when you think the Mares, you've got Sterling and you had Aguero. When Jesus was in the team, when Aguero was not injured, everybody was slating him. Don't score enough goals, you're not good enough. He's a Brazilian centre-forward, by the way. You know, City fans need to get real... real a realistic um, um, angle on all this because with the centre forwards we've had in the past, and Guardiola's our leading goal scorer, he's been off injured for God knows how long. He's thrust him straight back into it because we've got nobody else because uh, Jesus is injured. Now everybody's because Aguero's got a hamstring injury, which will happen, or some sort of injury will happen when you've been out for a length of time, he's been out and come back and try then to play at the pace we were playing at. Something goes. Especially when there's no there's no rest and you're coming straight back in after that length of injury. So 
he tweaks his hamstring, so he's out. So we look at that routine that we set out. There was no, there was there was no fear in my mind that that team that was put out couldn't beat West Ham. And and if you look at the stats and you look at the shots, what you have to put down to is a bad first half. We improved second half. We dominated the game, and only of a bad finishing by Mares and Raheem Sterling, which you'd have expected one of them to have put something away, then the game would have been won and we wouldn't have had all this all this negativity. But for me, you've got to you've got to look at no Laporte, no uh, no Jesus, no um, Kevin De Bruyne. We're missing players all the time and you know players having to play out out of position as well. But for me City didn't deserve to get beat against West Ham. They deserved to win the game with the chances that they have, but we didn't take the chances. And again, it'll come back to haunt us that we'll have chances. And if we don't put the chances his way, draws is no good. You, you, you know, you, you need to, it's better to have a run of five games and win three than be, than be undefeated with five draws, because that's what got Mark used the sack. There are too many draws in who's there. So, I mean, we played five games. We've got a game in hand. If we win the game in hand, we're two points off the top. I think we just need to uh, all settle down a bit and, and think exactly what these players are, uh, are having to play two, three times a week with, with no rest apart from, apart from two weeks. Well, I'll let Adam come back if he wants, but I'm also going to throw in, and you two can discuss this, and I'll just sit back and listen if you like. Uh, one, of the, one of the big criticisms in the last... Week, I would say, although the play, one of the players that's got a lot of criticism is Raheem Sterling. I oh. can't believe the number of people I'm, I'm seeing who are saying he should be dropped to the bench. It's uh, time that they left him out. Um, how do you two, with your your views, feel about that? Just, 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 just you go for it. I'll sit back, get my popcorn out. I'm surprised at that. Really, I, you know, I don't think Sterling should be dropped. Really, I think he's. He's had a good. He's had a good start, and I think obviously he's been one of the standout performers over the last, uh, over the last couple of seasons and stuff. I, I don't see the reason why we should drop him. I think people, some people have got a bit of vendetta against him. I feel, um, I certainly don't. I, I'm quite happy with him in the starting lineup. Obviously, he should have finished his couple of chances that he took, uh, that he could have took yesterday. But really, I think you know, um, his, his movement's good, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be putting the focus on him. I'd be putting the focus on the base of the midfield and. Uh, I'd, I'd be questioning, you know, why we didn't start Foden over Gundogan personally yesterday. Um, I think it is okay to question the starting lineup because, you know, as you as you mentioned there, we were talking about Phil Foden made a big impact in the second half. He would have made that impact from the first minute if he would have started. Um, I think the tempo would have been a lot higher uh, had he started. And I just don't think Gundogan is good enough for that number eight role, that David Silver role. And although Foden clearly isn't the finished article yet, He's better at that for me than Gundogan is because he's always asking for the ball. And as soon as he came on, he just he just changed things for us. And it wasn't about West Ham stepping out. You know, you could say Porto really stepped out as soon as we got that second goal. So it was easy for Foden and Torres to look good. But things didn't change when Foden came on, you know, because of the position of West Ham. It was purely because Foden's energy made things happen. And I just... I, I've not been someone that has been shouting for Foden to start every week for the last two or three years. I'm not some sort of Foden super fan. Um, but when I've seen him play um, towards the end of last season and the start of this season, I'm thinking, you know what, he's in, he's in my starting eleven now. And I certainly would have started him against West Ham. 
because I think we should have learned lessons from Wednesday. And I think it's okay to have this sort of high standard of expectations now. I know, I know we're, we've got to play two or three, two or three times more than we, we should be doing at the moment. And Pep can moan about the schedule. He's moaning about the schedule, but he's put two identical starting 11s out in four days. What's that all about? Why is he doing that? So you know how many times you know you, you, you've even said it. Do you, do you know how many times he's done that in 177 games? I know. So why has he done Once. it? To, why did he do it yesterday? Yeah. So why did he do it yesterday? Well, do you not think the injuries? Do you not think the injuries and maybe Torres? Sorry, Torres were on the bench. They should have started. Of course, they should. And they were playing on Tuesday against Marseille. Twenty minutes on Tuesday. Sheffield United again on the Saturday. They played, they played 20 minutes, they played how many minutes? You know what, I'll tell you what's easy. The easy thing for you to do, which, you, which you're doing and proving it, after the horse has bolted, how many times will you have looked at the side? I said it before the game. You tell me. Oh, of course you did. Yeah, of course you did. Of course you, you told us all. Um, but let me just say to you, how many times, if you want to be honest with yourself, and let's see if you can be honest, how many times has he picked a side, Guardiola, that you've looked at and thought, geez, he's picked the wrong team here. Yes, you can highlight Leon. I thought he did. But you, but how many times beyond that you've looked and thought, so the teams he picked here. I mean, even the commentary against Porto, against Porto, they they were absolutely destroying us after 10 minutes when we went to go behind. And even said to, to my family, I said, said, what's this commentary team going to say if we go four or five, one up? And that's how we it could have been in the end. We went three, one up. The whole conversation changed. Oh, what a great say, teams, City are. That's what our fans are becoming. They're always after the event. Easy to criticize. And, and to, to criticize Pep Guardiola, and you've probably done it yourself, if you're honest. You've looked aside, he's picked and said, I won't pick that side. And the difference is that's why you're sat at home and he's in the manager's job. No, I, 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 I have done that in the past. I've done that in the I've done that in the past and gone, oh yeah, exactly. You know, this is it, this is a crazy lineup. Why has he gone like that? And then I've been and I've been surprised, but he's done this exact same 11 for two games on the trot. So I saw it on Wednesday and decided it wasn't good enough. And then he's done the exact same thing at the weekend and it still wasn't good enough. So for me to have said it after one game, it's like, you know, you're just, you're just slating Guardiola. But this is two consecutive games now where I've seen a team that hasn't been good enough to win a game, really. But we beat Porto 3-1. And it could have been 5-1. Did you see how we performed in that game until, until Foden came on? Say that again. Did you see how we performed in that game until Foden came on? We got a penalty and a free kick. Well, just let me tell you something. Do you think the halftime... Do you think because of Phil Foden only, the whole game changed? No, it changed because yeah, when he got him in a halftime, when he got him in a halftime, he told him that... And if you listen to Phil Foden, I don't know if you heard his interview after the game, <laughs> but he said... Guardiola had strong words about our tempo and we needed to get... So he was well aware of what was needed, just as the other 10 that went out with him was so, aware the tempo had to be stepped up and it was stepped up. Phil was part of it. And of course, he, he scored a great goal for us. But you know something? That's what happens when you get him in a full time. When you, get him, when you get him in a half time, you can, you can change it. And he did change it. And he changed it to the fact that we stepped it up. And we should have won that game quite comfortable. No, the only reason we didn't win it because we missed glaring chances that the quality of players should have converted. I agree. I don't. I don't think we should be. We, we shouldn't. You shouldn't be starting games from half time. It should be zero minutes. We should be going at it. Why aren't we doing? Oh. That? Why aren't we good enough from the first minute? Why are we starting? Yeah, I can just let you into a secret. Every day you wake up and you go to work. If you work, 
and you go to work, are you on your game from the moment you get there until the moment you, you don't? Is no, you don't. The football is being paid £100,000 a week. This is typical. <laughs> this is typical because people are being paid the amount of money they should not be having off days because they're paid that we expect We expect footballers to perform from the first minute. They're, they're elite athletes, these. They're elite athletes. They're not, you know, 30, 40 years ago, it may have been a little bit different, perhaps. What about a cricketer? The best cricketer in the world goes out and gets a duck. The best cricketer in the world goes out, first ball, bowls him, first ball, bowls him. What about about a tennis player that goes out and gets beat by uh, number 120 in the world? It happens. You have off days. It should not. It should not be happening at the, the, oh, the, the level great. that we're playing at. Yeah, it's a grip. Shouldn't what happen. Do you think, what, so what you, you living? So what you think shouldn't that, happen. <laughs> do you think we should be playing forty-five minutes of football? Not bother. You know, for the first forty-five, we'll have an off, off forty-five minutes. Oh, it's, but but we'll be all right in the second forty-five. Do you really think that's acceptable at European level, Champions League level, to turn up for forty-five minutes of football? Because what oh, do you think happened to Liverpool when they were? What do you think happened to Liverpool? What do you think happened to Liverpool when they went to Villa? And got beat seven two. If I had to give you ten million to one, you wouldn't have took it. No, of course it wouldn't. Sometimes been that happens in Liverpool by seven because they can have off days. That it happens. We've had two off days in a week. How can you have two off days? We won our first game in Europe three What? Because we didn't play a style that we've we, we played in wild for the last three, four, five years since Guardiola's been there. Because yeah. we didn't play with that. Yeah. Oh Jesus, get a grip. <laughs> Jeez, get back on for Christ's sake. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, I enjoyed that because. That's the, problem. that's the problem we're getting. We're getting too many like this guy that's on here now. Too many like him that loves just at the first minute to be able to got two bad games, by the way. We've won 3 1 against Ian, Porto. Ian knows. I won one, one game. One game away <laughs> from being two points off the, off the top of the league when we're having a dreadful season. As you said I, love, I love the passion and the fact that you're representing different views, honestly and fairly. Yeah, but, are we, but are we representing the same team? It doesn't look that way to me. I'm wearing right. a shirt. <laughs> I'm now going to let... Uh, this, is, this is one of the bits I recorded earlier on now. I asked Carl, the American City fan, his thoughts on the Arsenal game. So um, to give them two a break now, here's Carl's views. I think we'll still uh, get, get momentum and uh, we'll, I think we'll, we'll give it a shot to try and win the league. Um, so I have faith in that. Uh, but I was disappointed, very disappointed. The moment I saw the team sheet, I, I was really disappointed. And here's why. You have uh, Foden and Torres, who literally saved our bacon off the bench the last time we played, I think it was against uh, the Champions League they came on. They saved our bacon and then you dropped them to the bench instead of you put Mares and Garcia. What message are you sending? You have Liam Delap, who's scoring goals against Arsenal, fantastic goal against Arsenal in the academy, and we have we don't have, we're playing a false nine where Guerra goes off. I mean, what exactly is going on? I mean, play the players in the right position. People who are informed, play them. If we lose, at least we give it a shot, Ian. At least we're trying to try new things and new players and people in the right position. Whatever this, you know, this whole discussion around inverted wingers doesn't make sense to me. I mean, the reason we were so fantastic in, in the 17 18 season, Sani on the left, Sterling on the right, right? Left on the left, right on the right. You stretch the field and then center backs are confused and you have pace and power left and right with a tap in. 
why are we changing to Liverpool's formation with having these inverted wingers? It doesn't work. Because we have, in my opinion, we have the, uh, you know, an inverted winger with a back thigh, they just cut in into traffic. It goes against everything we've seen that's been explosive over the 17, 18 season. It really is weird. I mean, when you look at the game on Saturday, it just, I just, I, I just knew what was going to happen. I knew it was going to be a draw. I knew there was no way we we're going to win that game with, in my opinion, Garcia, who's not a defender, is a, is a midfielder, frankly, playing center back, can't run. Mara's on the right, who cuts in on the right, he's not a winger, and Sterling on the left. And then when Aguero goes off, we have Foden playing, he did a good job, but then no Delap, no Torres. What do we expect? So something needs to change. I just, we're so much better than this. We should be right now top of the league. Now, there's some good sides to this, Ian. One, we haven't lost an away game. Okay, that's great. Um, we have a game in hand. So if we win our game in hand, you know, we'll still be top four at least, and we can ride the storm through through December. But we have to change. We have to do, let the kids play in their best position, the ones they grew up in. The reason why you bought them, because they played in their natural positions. Play them there. Don't try to convert them into things that they're not. They'll never be as good as they naturally are, in my opinion. Given that we're fans of Pep Guardiola, at least the same you are, I'm a huge fan of Pep Guardiola, and we see him as one of the great coaches of our time and possibly the best coach in the Premier League in history. Who knows? That's all a matter of opinion. Why can he not see the things that, that you're talking about? Why against Leon did he make substitutions wrong? Did he play too many defensive midfielders? Why did he not see that Aubameyang was going to counter-attack against Arsenal in the FA Cup? Why has his pet not doing the things that you're talking about? Why is he obsessed with inverted wingers, for example? I mean, you know, I, I know this, that's why he gets the millions. I, I don't get the millions. But I will say this. So I asked my friend a question this morning. I said, hey, if Arteta had this squad right now, this squad right now, where do you think we'll be in the league right now? And his answer was probably be top because Arteta would know how to play the players in the best position, given the resources that he has. And that's a fact. That's probably, that's probably, gonna, that's probably a fact. You know, why do we overthink things that are naturally uh, occurring? play the players in the right position. If Liam Delap scored a banger of a goal against uh, in the EFL Cup, why not play him again? Let him build his confidence. Play him. Play Sterling on the right. Play Torres on the left. That's where they flourish. I, mean, I haven't even gone as far as saying, why not try Bernardo Silva as a, as a, as a defensive midfielder? He has the energy. He has the closing down. He's, he's, he's good on the ball. Look at Kante, right? Bernardo looks, it reminds me of Kante against Liverpool in the year that we uh, beat them to the league. He was, he, he ran 13 kilometers. That's Kante-esque. Why not try him there with the energy and play Foden and KDB next to him? Uh, an energetic, fast, furious middle three to support the front three. Why not? So these, if, I, if I'm seeing these things and I ask these questions, I'm assuming that all the fans are asking these questions. Why can't someone who's been paid millions of dollars and pounds also see these things? So. It is worrying for me, you know, the whole situation with the contract not being signed, uh, just begin to scratch it and say, you know, maybe, maybe is it time? Is it time to think about options? What's going on exactly? Um, it's concerning. There's no reason why we shouldn't be right now top of the league. It's just no reason why. Um, again, the good thing is game in hand, good away performances for the most part. We haven't dropped, we haven't lost a game away, 
and there's still time to recover, in my opinion. So that was Carl in America with his views on, on the game. We'll hear from him a little bit later on, because one of the other subjects that I want to bring up is the project big picture and the, the direction that that seems to be going in. Um, one other thing I wanted to just bring at this point, and actually, the, shall we call it the debate between Adam and Gary, um, is perfectly sort of, um, one of the things that, that, that goes into my mind on this, and it perfectly sets this up, is how a player, an ex-player, sees things differently perhaps than just a fan who's never played the game. Um, I've never played the game, by the way, either, so I don't claim to, I don't to know. I don't you have to play the game, Ian, to be able to see and understand what goes on. You don't have to have played it to, to see that players have not had the rest they should have. They've not had the preparation that they should have had. Well, but I'll, having I'll said that, for us to play at a level that we're expected to play because we're paid because they're paid hundred thousands of pounds, it's unacceptable to count of a, a bad day. What what planet is he living on? Well, just have a listen <laughs> to this, Gary. This is this is. Uh, do you know Andy Hill? Did you didn't play in the same era? He came after no. you, didn't he, Andy Hill? But you would have yeah. seen him play, wouldn't you? Maybe he, he has. He was a right back, and he and he he he's a, he's got a, a blue heart. He actually has a blog, which is called "My Balls Are Blue," <laughs> which is <laughs> you can find you can find him on Twitter as well. By the way, um, let me just uh, give you his Twitter handle, which is at Andy Andy Hill O two. And now he I, it caught me eye that he'd written this blog. I'm going to read a bit to you. I did ask him to if he wanted to come on. And um, in all seriousness, he has a few problems with anxiety and said he'll come on in the future, but not at the moment. So, but he said, no problem with reading this out. Now, this is about the game in general. He said it was great to have football back after the lockdown, even with the restrictions. But is it just me or is it losing its magnetism? The lack of atmosphere is eerie at best. And the added sound effects are annoying and plastic. The teams are not coming out together in the tunnel. The players are not going eye to eye with their opponents. They're shouting at each other before the game. They're going to war. They're trying to gain some sort of psychological advantage, although that was dying out, is missing. It seems like everybody wants to be friends these days, hugging and kissing each other after the game. I hated some of the players I played against, and for that matter, for me, some of those who I played with. The game is becoming sterile. Bring back the fans quickly. They generate the excitement, the nervousness and the fear in a player that builds the adrenaline in the body and then feeds the passion and the drive and the will to win in a gladiatorial environment, one which is clearly missing in the current format and one which is probably having a big impact on the strange start and the results so far this season. But is that the only reason? Not for me. Players are a different breed these, these days, granted. I know the game has changed and a lot more emphasis is put on the technical and tactical elements of the so-called beautiful game. But I, for one, miss the enforcer or the player or players who would put their bodies on the line and go toe-to-toe in a physical confrontation with the enemy, something that all the great teams had in yesteryear. I say yesteryear, but let's take a quick look at what's, what's happened recently, say so the last two seasons, that this type of player or team, for that matter, have been lost to the beautiful game, the one I loved watching. Going back playing for the successful teams of that era, you had team players like, and I know 
this one will go over the head of Adam to a certain extent, but Billy Bremner, Norman Hunter, Tommy Smith, Graham Souness, Steve McMahon, etc. More recently, Yaya Torre and Fernandinho, to name a few. Players that could play, but also thrived on the head-to-head physical battle against like the likes of Reed versus Souness or McMahon against Robson, Keane against Vieira. Player fans would pay money just to go and see these warriors compete. Now, you get the, 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 the gist of that. There's more of that if you go and read it on his blog. Um, is that what missing? I mean, the other thing I would introduce is into this is when I was watching the Arsenal game on TV, as we're all, all doing, I think it was Martin Tyler that was commentating, and he said that he felt that the fact that the West Ham fans weren't in the stadium... Um, for that game meant that West Ham weren't as nervous at the end of the game as they might have been when it was 1-1 and City were pressing for a for a lead. Now, I've often thought that actually playing an empty stadium suits City's game better because of the technical prowess that they have. But he made a very good point, I thought, in that commentary by saying that the West Ham fans wouldn't have been edgy and that wouldn't have transmitted. What, what do you, as, as an ex-player, Gary, like uh, Andy... Do you agree that the the passion is missing from the game now, whether it's just because it's behind closed doors or was happening anyway? Ian, I said to you, one of the first uh, podcasts we did, um, to me, I have no interest in watching any other football. I watch when City's on because it's my team, but I have no interest because there's no atmosphere. There's no, it it, it feels like it's a pre-season game. I understand what uh, Andy's saying about the head-to-head and the Warriors. Listen, you can't do that anymore. The Soonesses, the Bremners, the Norman Hunters would not be allowed to enforce. I mean, if you look now, you make a challenge. And if you make a challenge and you're stretching to do it, how are you going to stop not having a follow-through? Because your momentum takes you through. You're not going to hurt somebody. But if you're making a challenge and you're going at speed, your momentum takes you through. So you can't make a challenge without following through. I don't mean following through you stood up and hurting people, but if you, your momentum takes you through. Now it's come to a stage where you can't tackle. I mean, you can't tackle. If you tackle from behind now, which is an art, Peter Beardsley, you'd be able to tackle from behind, slide, the hook is cut round, play a goal, we get up. That'd be a foul these days. I mean, the art of tackling, which it's, it was an art, it's not an art anymore because you can't tackle. So the physical side of it is going out of it. And the, and the Warriors and the confrontations, you can't have it anymore. You won't have it anymore uh, because the camera's on you 24-7 when you're in the tunnel and you're coming out the tunnel. Uh, I mean, he even followed uh, Mourinho down the tunnel when one of his players went off for the course of nature, uh, followed him almost into the dressing room. So there's no hiding place for anybody now. And he makes some good points there. And I've said it on one of the first podcasts we did is that, I have, I have no interest in watching any other football. There's no atmosphere. There's no, it's, it's dead. It is dead. And watching, and watching the West Ham game um, for the first, first half, it was a dead game. We had no tempo. Neither side looked as though they was going to score. Uh, and then, obviously, he stepped it up a bit at half time, and we took the game to him. And trust me, you don't have to have been a professional. You can play on part field. If you have 10 men that sat behind the ball, they don't have to be the best players in the world to make it. If they're organised well enough, and professionals are these days, that's how we're going to have to face teams 
that, that, that we're coming up against, not just here, but in Europe as well. It was important we won our first game in Europe. It's important you need to get to a good start. We have. So we've got an easier group, in my opinion. We could have got a lot harder group. We'll, we'll qualify through this group, but it's how we won on, on from there. But Andy makes some, some great points, but some of the points he makes, you can't, you wouldn't be allowed to do now. There's no confrontation you can have anymore. And listen, that's what players like. They like that head-to-head. They like the confrontation. That's what it's all about. It's, it's physical. And, and, and in that is to win the game. So that physical and that sort of nature has gone out of the game. And with no crowd there as well to, to get people at it, it's, it's, a dull, it's a dull game. And, and for me, I don't know, I think there's been three games on uh, today and I've not watched, watched any of them. I've, I clicked on to see what the teams were, but I've not watched it. And, uh, As a younger fan, Adam, do you do you you you've, you've grown up watching a more sanitised, a more dare I say FIFA twenty eleven type uh, game? You know, you, you've never probably seen that physical game, but you've seen it on old videos probably. Do you wish the game was like it was, or do you prefer it as it is? Um. I like the happy medium of the the mid two thousands, you know, with the with the Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira style things, where it wasn't quite, you know, the Billy Bremner style and the, the dirty Leeds style, but um, you could see that there was some real technical advances in that Arsenal team, but then also some real, you know, head to head battles in that midfield. I, I really did, I did like that era, and I wish we were still in that era. But I feel like we've moved to appreciate, and I think English fans will move to appreciate more technical. Uh, football, like David Silva, for example, um, than the tackling style. In future, I think we'll learn to appreciate the the intricacies of football rather than the tough tackling. I love a good tough tackle. You know, it, when even still, you know, as a fan, when you're in the ground, if you see a really good tackle, and I'm in the corner, and if I see it, you want a really good tackle down my corner, that gets just as as good of a cheer as like an amazing pass from De Bruyne. You know, you'd still want to see, you know, things like that. And it's a shame that that's, that's gone out of the game. But I do appreciate that it's not going to come back. And that's just that's just the way it is. But um, in terms of the game in general, I think we've just sort of got to watch it for what it is at the moment. We know that it's not going to be as intense and as high octane as the previous season has got to be. So I've sort of come to terms with the fact that it's not going to be as passionate and and as enthralling as the previous years because obviously for starters I'm not at the ground I'm not in my seat for a start but I've just accepted that that's it's a different game at the minute so I'm watching it for what it is and personally I have watched most of the games that have, that have been on TV obviously there was nearly every game on that was on TV last uh, last month so I've been trying to watch as much as possible because I've been stuck in the house not been able to go out at the weekend it's been the only thing that has been good of, of a weekend to watch the football so I'm really glad that it's back I'm appreciating it for what it is. I don't actually mind the crowd noise. I think the crowd noise has been good, really, because when the camera angle looks down at the pitch, for a lot of the time, you actually can't see that the fans aren't there anyway. So even though it's affecting the game and the tempo of the game, from a fan who, if you're watching it on TV, which I don't tend to do unless it's an away game, there's not that much difference. If you sat watching it, you feel like there's actually a crowd there. Um, so I, I'm, I'm impressed with the way they've done the crowd noise because I wasn't a supporter at first. Um, but yeah, I'm accepting it for what it is until we can get back. I'm just looking forward to getting back to that high-tempo Premier League product that we had um, last season. For what it's worth, I mean, I just don't think the game's the same. Um, I don't think it is the game 
the game is the same without fans in there. Yeah. Um, and obviously, um, there's been some talk this weekend. David Moyes himself, the West Ham manager, was quoted as saying how frustrated he was that he knew that there were fans going to be watching the game in a cinema. Um, and this was happening up and down the country. There were reports also of um, sort of corporate lounges, etc., where fans could even sit inside stadiums. I think they did it at Hull City this weekend, uh, where they could sit in a in a in a big room, socially distanced, and all the rest of it. Probably having food because that's the rule these days. But able to watch the game on the big screens a few yards away from where games were actually taking place with the windows blacked out. And yet the irony is, and I I'm, I'm certainly don't want to stop this, but I've attended several non-league games of, of late where there have been three or 400 fans inside a stadium. Um, and uh, I'm thinking, hang on a minute, here I am at a small non-league ground where <coughs> space is limited and there are three or 400 fans inside the stadium watching the game. We know that there are people watching games inside cinemas, and yet in these cavernous stadiums like the Etihad, there are no fans allowed at all. And, and I just find the whole thing unbelievable, really. And, and, and you know, I, I respect everybody's views on the, the global pandemic, and we won't go into the detail of the rights and wrongs of that, but I also saw Henry Winter, very renowned journalist who's been on the podcast with us before, talking about Southampton today and the precautions that they've taken and arguing that actually one of the safest places you could be at the moment because of enforced social distancing, cleanliness, etc., is inside one of these cavernous outdoor football stadiums. And yet there seems to be no sign to go back in. Um, how, how do you feel about that, Gary? I mean, should we be back in or should we not well the secret is is that you're outside which is is one of the the main reasons um you can keep your social distancing you can you can do the trace and and, and check there's no two about it like you do if you went to a restaurant and everything. so you can do everything that the government wants to uh to enforce yet you'd be able to go in be able to watch the, the sport you want to watch and the, the players, whether it's football or whatever sport, will um, will be able to, to, to... Listen, you do perform better in front of a crowd, whatever sport you do, than what you don't in front of a crowd. It's like a pre-season game. It's like the behind-closed-doors games, as it is. Uh, for me, I don't see why it cannot be, it cannot be enforced uh, with safe, uh, safe distancing, in a stadium that can hold 55,000, you should be able to put a, a goodly crowd in there to be able to do everything that you want to be able to do and keep within the in the rules. And to add to it, you're in the open air, for God's sake, as well. It's not as though you're enclosed. You, you're actually out in the open air as well. So I don't know, I don't know how or when they're ever going to allow anybody back in unless these numbers come down. And remember, there are more people <laughs> being tested now. Uh, and which is obviously making that there's more uh, more positive tests because more people are being tested. But the irony of it is that anybody that's had it, they're asking for their blood now because they want it for the antibodies. So it's it, it is a strange time and strange situation and strange rulings that are going on. And in sport, it, you know, it's equally as, as baffling as the rest that's happening. But we have to go with it while the rule makers tell us we have to do it. 
since I felt like I had, although I don't know for sure, COVID when I came back from Madrid uh, back in February, March, I have volunteered to uh, to supply the plasma if they want yeah. it. I've got a test a week on Monday. Um, but Adam, uh, do, do you get frustrated with the fact we're not back in there when you see people in, in cinemas and, and doing all sorts of other things these days, but, but football stadiums, which are huge and outdoors, we can't go into? Yeah, definitely. I feel like football has just been, the progress has been halted. Does it, I feel like we're a good like couple of months behind everything else. Um, it feels like we're still in that area where all the pubs were closed and things like that. And, you know, in, in middle, middle of May, it just, it feels weird that they've not allowed at least some fans in. I understand not bringing, obviously, full stadiums back, but, you know, 55,000 people. For example, if the 100 people that were in a cinema in West Ham those 100 people could have sat in the stadium and watched it. That's 100, 100 people in a 60,000 capacity stadium. They're not really likely to meet anyone, never mind. You know, they're going to see each other on the seats across the, across the stand. They're probably not going to meet each other on the concourse or even use the same toilet as them. There's probably more than 100 toilets in West Ham's ground. You know, they could, I just don't understand why, if they're allowing it inside in a cinema, why they can't allow the same number of people inside a stadium, whether it's costing in terms of stewards to open the ground for that. I'm not really sure on the numbers. I just find it really strange that we've been left behind, really. I suspect it might be, this might be some sort of conspiracy theory, tin hat thing, but maybe the old the old football um, stereotype, football fan stereotype might be creeping in, where they think that if they let a few hundred people in, they're more likely to have you know too many drinks, and converge on the concourse and go in the pubs beforehand and get too close to each other. Perhaps that might be into the thinking of it all. But I think that if we were to let a few hundred in, that's not going to be the case. I think people will be respectful of it because they know if they're too close and if they're all congregating behind the goal, as we saw in a few international matches in Europe uh, during the international break, they'll be put a stop to it straight away. So I think that the fans that are allowed in would be a lot more mindful of those problems if, if they are caught together um, but yeah I think maybe the stereotype of football fans and the boozy side of it might be a negative impact in us maybe but that might just be a little conspiracy but mm. well, we'll see how that story goes along there's one other subject I want to talk about now and we'll bring Carl with his views back in particularly on this one because uh, we saw Project Big Picture we've we've talked about that before uh, for now at least that's gone away but there does seem to be a second possibility uh, which FIFA might be involved in again Manchester United and Liverpool seem to be the instigators of this um, anyway um, I, I've spoke to Carl in America um, and here's what he had to say on the subject I, I don't agree with uh, the whole no relegation, no promotion. I think the jeopardy with relegation is what makes the Premier League exciting, in my opinion. Um, and I think it should stay. I, I think we should stay with that. Now, in terms of the parachute payments, that, in my opinion, should go because it gives the, the, the relegated team an unfair advantage when they go to the championship because now they have all the money, they can keep the players, and it makes it unfair to the rest of the championship. But in terms of relegation, promotion, just stay. It's absolutely crucial to stay. Now, the Super League, they want a Super League, they get rid of the Champions League, <laughs> right? Why are we trying to change their local leagues and have another Super League and then have the Champions League, get rid of the Champions League. Make the Champions League the Super League. Fine. Like if, you, if, if City and Liverpool and United want to go and play a Super League, go ahead. You have this extra competition and get rid of the Champions League. Make it a European Super League. But keep the local competition the way it is. It's not just about the football. 
in. It's about the economy. It's about revenue. It's about the local fans. It's about uh, jobs. It's about all those things that trickle down across all the 92 clubs in the, in the English, England, English pyramid. You can't change it because six clubs who have money backed by foreign owners have their, a certain way they want to change football. That's not the way it works. That's not what's made English football so popular around the whole world. Keep the relegation, keep the promotion. Without that, there's no jeopardy. And you can just keep coming back to same year, same clubs. What's the point? Why do I want to watch uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona and, and against City and Liverpool week in, week out? After a while, it gets boring. And the reality is, if that happens, all of a sudden, the clubs who are going to be on top of the Super League and the ones at the bottom will be the same issue. We're not getting the revenue, we're not getting the, the, the fan base. And you have another uh, division within that league itself. If they want the Super League, get rid of the Champions League, make that the Super League. But keep the local competitions the way it is. We love it. And that's what makes me uh, a fan of the Premier League. It's the competition. Aston Villa, Liverpool, 7-2. You had uh, West Ham holding City yesterday, 1-1. You had Leeds United playing the most glamorous football we've seen since probably the Centurion season, right? Doing so well. Why not? Oh, heck no. No relegation. The relegation, no, no promotion, not for me. I wouldn't have it any day. One of the suspicions, um, and this is unfair be, uh, putting this on you because you are just one person. You're not the person making the decision. So don't take this personally. But one of the suggestions is that um, once the American influence grows in the Premier League through Liverpool and United, if they get their way, we'll also see uh, water breaks halfway through each half becoming a regular feature so that an extra ad break can be put into football. Um, obviously, having extra substitutions potentially means uh, more... You know, maybe the substitution gets sponsored. Um, who knows? Um, you know, that, that, that slowly but surely the game creeps into a more and more commercial way and a lot less from the tempo that we're used to of games uh, where teams build up momentum. And, you know, it, it's about putting pressure on. And as soon as you can do all these sorts of things, next thing they'll be calling for a timeout. Is that something that you worry about? Well, so I've seen the whole timeout um, uh, experiment played out. I think it was FIFA. I think it was two. two I think it was 1997. It was on the 17 World Cup where they tried the timeout. It was horrible. I watched that game. It was absolutely dreadful. Here's what I what I think. It, there's a reason why the English Premier League is, is the most exciting league. It's because it's fast. It's furious. There are no breaks. It's it's aggressive. If you're, not, if you're not up for it, you can lose a game. Why change it when it's creating so much excitement? Why? Now, how can we market the same product across the whole world to make more money? Which I think we can. But don't change the rules that have made it so exciting. Because people like myself we just won't watch it anymore, frankly. Won't. Too many timeouts, too many breaks. I just, you know, just, I mean, I, I love the NFL. But frankly, I watch it when we get to the playoffs. Because then it's more exciting. Because then, you know, there's jeopardy. Right. And then, you know, with all, and then you really watch the last quarter because that's where you really see what's going on with the game in terms of, who, you know, who, who has a lead. So for me, it's if it's not broken, don't fix it. Figure out other ways to make money, but don't change football the way it's been designed for the past what, over 100 years to something that's going to be akin to um, a commercially backed uh, enterprise of, in my opinion, futility. It just doesn't make any sense to me. As an American, would you rather Americans didn't interfere with the Premier League then? Absolutely not. We have a way of mucking things up whenever we interfere. I can give you examples, but I won't get political. 
But you know, there's a reason why we love the Premier League. It's because it's the English Premier League. It's and it's it's about the 92 clubs of the English pyramid. I watch League One, I watch League Two, I watch Championship. Heck, I even watch some non-league games on on TV over here. I watch a lot of games because I have time to do that, and you know, when I'm not working. And so I enjoy the 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 unpredictability of the of the, of the English game. It shouldn't change. Not for us Americans. Not for anybody else. Figure out a way to make more money from it by expanding the customer base, but don't change the rules. Don't change relegation promotion because then you lose jeopardy and then it becomes like anything else, a boring, fixed, uh, a docile game, which we all don't want. So that was Carl in America. Um, and obviously one of the things that you two can comment now on is, the, you know, if, if there was a European league that came in um, where... You know, we're talking about 18 teams. We're talking about, I don't know whether they'd be split into two groups of nine, but there will be a lot of extra fixtures, but also the likelihood that the teams who were the forerunners of this would be guaranteed no relegation. Um, it definitely seems to be a direction, even if the Premier League ran alongside it, um, maybe a slimmed down Premier League, but it seems to be a direction which is much more geared up for uh, advertising in water breaks and you know who knows what else will come into it but it's moving further and further away from certainly the game and and the sport that I watched and maybe you might argue and you two will have very different views on this I'm sure being different age groups for a start off you know um you know do we want to to be flexible do we want is it time for a big shake up and a big change and um, would you want City to be to be part of it? Would you want them to be at the forefront of all this and be part of that six that that break away into European Super League? Or do you hanker after the way it used to be? Go on, Gary, what do you think? Well, it's already started and it's been it's been going, but in the guise of the Champions League, because it's not Champions League, it's the top four. So they've all they've done is taken a top four from every European country. Uh put them into a league basis and then from the league basis they turn it into a knockout so the Champions League is a Super League now because you're taking the, the four best teams nearly from every every top European country and even stretching further afield now so to to have a Super League I, I believe we're already in it now and it's classed as a, champion, a Champions League because we have a league in it and we also have a cup in it so we're having two competitions in one. It's, so to go alongside, and we're, it's already alongside the Premiership and the FA Cup and the, the Carabao Cup. I mean, there's game and internationals. So the games, it's a long season for our top players, not just our club, but it, who play international as well and who are teams that are, are going further in the Champions League than others ones are. So it's... It, <laughs> It would only mean that the Champions League would would change its its disguise into a Super League because I believe yeah, that we have got the Super League now. I hear what you're saying, but one of the suggestions of this different, this newer, this new suggestion, which hasn't been firmed up yet, so we're only talking hypothetical here, is that let's say the top five or six Premier League clubs, the big so-called big six, said, right, we want to be part of this new. Um, this new competition where there'll be four from Germany, four from Italy, four from Spain. But these teams will, for the first 10 years, um, always be there. So if City had a bad season and finished eighth one season and Everton finished fourth, 
Everton wouldn't get into this new league. City would get in by virtue of being one of the teams that established it for the first 10 years. Would you want City to be at the forefront of something like that? Listen, money is, is dictating everything. And I don't know how the view is from, uh, I mean, the club are all already, the City group are buying, are buying teams in all countries. I think there's probably about nine or 10 teams in alongside City now in the group of, uh, of things. So the club are reaching out worldwide now because that's where the, where the money is. It's not just about local anymore. It's about getting sponsorship worldwide. And if you see, you know, some of our major sponsors are from China, from America. So it's, it, you know, it, the football that we know as English football is worldwide now. For it to go into Champions League, I can only think it will have, unless in that, in the, what they're proposing, are you saying they'll work alongside the league as well? Or, or would they come out of it? Well, league? obviously, none of this has been firmed up yet. No, but, but the, the idea would be there'd still be a slimmed-down Premier League. There'd be no Champions League, per se. Probably the League Cup would go, just like it was suggested in Project Big Picture. But then you would have founder members of this European League that would be guaranteed to stay in it for a certain so, number of so years. So the Champions League would go adrift, and then this would take over, but we continue in the league as well. Well, to, to be honest, it's just... Yeah, it's, that we're doing a similar thing now and it's called Champions League. We've got a league of the best teams, the four best teams in most of the European countries that play in a, a league basis, which is drawn. And then uh, the, the only difference is if you don't finish in the top four of your league each year, then you don't stay, you, you know, you, you don't stay in the Champions League. Whereas in this new league, it don't matter. And, and I don't think that's a good thing either because as we saw with Leeds United, when they got to the semi-final, I think it was, of the Champions League, they invested a lot when they got there. If at that time Leeds would have gone into this uh, this so-called Super League, which they would have been in at that time probably uh, because of, of what they were doing in Europe as well, years after that, they nearly went out of business. So it's, you know, I think you're toying with, with something that will change the whole face of football in every country. And I'm not sure that would be a good thing for football. Adam? Yeah, I for, for the first time tonight, I agree. Um, yeah, I, I think you know it's 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 just something that we just don't need to happen to the game. I love the game in the format that it is. I love the League Cup and the FA Cup, even though there's already complaints about the fixture schedule. I, I love I love the domestic cups, um, particularly as a fan going to the game, going to the domestic cups, the Carabao Cup. Um, I've really enjoyed that over the last few years, going and watching us playing that. Um, and I like, the, I like the Champions League for the fact it's a meritocracy. You know, if you're good in your league, you're in the Champions League and you can go and play for that. In this Super League, it's not a meritocracy. The biggest teams stay in there and the gap will just widen. The, the, the big elite teams that have already established themselves, really, let's be honest, we've established ourselves in there by spending a billion pounds or whatever it is. They've already established themselves, but they will push themselves even further away from the rest of the teams in their domestic leagues. There will be no chance the likes of Everton or Newcastle could ever go and join that elite group if they were to push even further away. You could argue that they probably couldn't even join it now. I think it might even be too far for someone to join now uh, because of financial fair play restrictions. But with a European Super League in that guise of the 20 years, no relegation policy or whatever it is, I just find it, it would just really push it into that realm of these are the best teams and there's everyone else. And I think it would really push the domestic leagues 
uh, into com you know being complete secondary competition. Whereas at the moment there's a debate. I think you know the bread and butter is the Premier League. You want to win it, and your Champions League is second. But if we go into this Super League, it completely changes. I think everything and all the focus is then on that European Super League, and your domestic competition as a league just becomes pointless and secondary. You'd be playing your second string out there because the amount of money that you'd earn from the Super League by being part of it would be huge. And the money you get from staying in there will be huge. And there's no real demand to finish in the top positions in the Premier League because you're already guaranteed your position in the Super League next season anyway. So United have been pushing for this top four, pushing for top four, because they know they're going to lose loads of hundreds of millions of pounds if they don't get into the top four. That would go if they were part of the Super League. You wouldn't need to play well in the Premier League. So, yeah, I just think it's a terrible idea and it's being pushed by those people that probably include City now, let's be honest, that feel like they can really widen that gap from the other teams. And I think it's really sad. Well, thanks very much to, to Gary Owen, um, who's always brilliant on the podcast. To Adam for being forthright and honest and representing a different view. To Carl, who gave us that uh, American slant as well. And to you for listening. And to charleslouis.co.uk, uh, the Chartered Mortgage Advisors, who are the sponsors of this podcast. Without their support, there wouldn't be a podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Click the subscribe button. It's free to listen to the podcast. We do one every week. The next one will be recorded next Sunday evening and go live. UK, of course, uh, next Sunday evening evening um so yeah as i say thanks very much for listening um uh, spread the word retweet and all the rest of it and uh we'll see you again next time so thanks to everybody and uh whatever side of every argument you're on remember one thing it's great to be a blue <laughs>